Hi, this is AJ Perro from Twisted Sister. Are you listening to John and Iron City Rock? Hey, Headbangers, this is Rudy Sarzo, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, guys, Headbangers and Metalheads, this is Doral Pesh, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks, and I wish you a great time and rock on. Hi, this is Paul from Cradle of Filth, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Iron City Rocks podcast, a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. Episode 104, we've got two special guests joining us on the show. We had the opportunity to speak to Johan Soderberg of Amana Marth. I've got a new album out called Socher Rising. Uh, you can get that album. Uh, it's been out since the end of March. We had a chance to talk to him a few weeks ago, so we wanted to get that interview in front of you as soon as possible. Also had the honor of talking to A.J. Piro of the band Twisted Sister. Um, A.J. has uh, partnered and become the national spokesperson for a uh, charitable organization, so we're going to get into an interview I did with him. It's kind of a lengthy interview. I apologize, but I hope you find it kind of interesting. We talk a lot about uh, not only Twisted Sister, but the charitable organization he's with. And uh, those of you from the Pittsburgh area, I think we'll find the charity of particular interest due to some events that have been going on in the, uh, unfortunately, been going on in the Pittsburgh area for quite some time now. So without further ado, we're going to get in a song from Socher Rising from Amana Marth. This is a song called Wrath of the Norseman. And then we'll get into the interview.
gentlemen from the band of Monomarth. This is Johan Soderberg. How are you doing today, Johan? I'm good, thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, you've been with the band, uh, I believe, for going on what has been about 12 years. Can you give us a little background on how you came to be in the band? Yeah, most basically the they just need they had a the, the old guitar player had quit just before the first tour the band was ever gonna do. Okay. They needed a new guitar player, and, and I was like in the in the friend friendship around the band, so mm-hmm. they just asked me. And had you so um, like nine, nineteen ninety eight. 98. So, did you play on the the very first album, the uh, one sent from the Golden Hall, or were you? Uh, did you kind of make your debut with the Avenger? Yeah, my first album, album was the Avenger. Okay, so you guys, you got to kind of go on the road with them first, then and get to get to know the setup. Now, obviously, you guys yeah, have written, yeah. you guys have written to uh, risen to quite a bit of international success, which is great. Um, would you say one of the things I notice about a, a Monomarth is that you know, a lot of people just kind of label you as a death Viking metal. Um, one of the things I noticed listening to the band is that your guitar work is a little bit more uh, melodic, should I say, or a little more riff-oriented than some other uh, black or death metal bands. Is that um, What kind of influences did you draw on as a player? Yeah, that, that's because my, my influences come from uh, traditional heavy metal, like Iron Maiden and Metallica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really see our music as uh, black metal or death metal. Okay. It's just uh, traditional metal, but with a little heavier sound. Sure. Yeah, obviously, uh, Johan's vocals are maybe a little bit uh, heavier, for lack of a better term, than Bruce Dickinson's, but I can see. Yeah, yeah. He, his voice, of course, that's the only thing that sounds death metal in, in the band, I think. Do you guys intentionally try to incorporate some like traditional melodies into your music from the the Viking and Norse uh, kind of influence, or is it you just kind of write what you write? I just kind of write what I like to listen to myself, and of course, maybe some of the melodies comes from Scandinavian traditional folk music melodies. They they are. Kind of similar to to, to some uh, heavy metal melodies. Sure. Now you guys have a, a new album uh, due out here. Oh, it's going to be next week, if I'm not mistaken. So it's your rising uh, on Metal Blades Records. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the recording process and the writing process for the album? Yeah, I started to write uh, songs like January last year. Basically, it's just me and the guitar, other guitar player, Olavi. We make uh, the guitar uh, parts at home, usually. And then we bring it to the rehearsal place, and then everybody starts to to build a song together there. And then that's also when the, our vocalist, you and Egg, starts to make the lyrics, when he hears the, the first impressions of the songs. Uh, do you guys um, contribute at all to like vocal melodies, or you just kind of leave all that up to to Johan? Sometimes we have ideas about the vocal melodies. It's not really melodies; it's more like song song phra- phrasing, phrasing. and uh, ry- rhythms. Because all the melodies are usually on the guitars, and the the vocals concentrating on just 
being rhythmic. Right. Um, now, the title of the album um, refers back to Searcher, um, uh, which is from Norse mythology, obviously. Do you want to talk a little bit? Are you familiar with the kind of the background of that story, or is that all kind of Johan's baby? Uh, it's mostly Johan's topic, that's not... the album artwork, because I have to say that one of the things that always jumps out of me, your albums, is the artwork, and this one is certainly does not disappoint. Was that somebody affiliated with a band or a friend, or did you guys just let the record label do their thing with that? Uh, yeah, it's the same guy who has done, has done all our album artwork since the since the Crusher album. His name okay. is Tom Teal. I actually never met the guy. Uh-huh. He's, a, he's a German guy. So you just kind of feed him a title and let him go. Yeah, we let me like we tell him the story. Okay. And we and he goes from that. Okay. Now, um, you guys are going to be doing a U.S. tour starting in May. Uh, I'm sorry, in April and going through mid-May. Um, do you guys have anything in particular you're planning on doing unique in the set, or is it kind of a tracks from all the albums, or a little heavier towards the new material? You know, the the thing we're gonna do now, we're we're not gonna have an open band. Instead, we're gonna play the whole new album live. Okay. First, and then we're gonna have a short break and do a regular set after that. Okay, so you're gonna get kind of the uh, evening with a monomarth and you're yeah yeah yeah. It off with the new album. Um, now on the album itself, do you guys kind of trade lead duties, or um, do one of you kind of tend to do that sort of stuff, or is it whoever kind of came up with the riff, or how do you kind of segregate the guitar duties? Uh, it's usually we, we divide it like 50-50 between us. Mm-hmm. And it's usually the guy who writes the song who does the lead on the song. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Johan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. And uh, I guess we're going to see you on the road when you get over to North America in April. Yeah. Looking forward to that. All right. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. <laughs>
All right, that was the War of the Gods from Socha Rising from Amon Amarth. I want to thank Johan again for coming on the show. Now we're going to get into a rather lengthy interview I did with a band uh, I think all of us remember from our youth, Twisted Sister. Uh, this is with drummer AJP Rowe. Uh, we talk not only about Twisted Sister and the future of the band, but we also talk about a charitable organization that he is working with called Fallen Blue. So without further ado, we'll get into that interview. We're going to lead you off with uh, a song from Stay Hungry. This is called The Price, taken from a, a live album they had out a few years ago called Live at the Astoria. We're going to get into the interview with AJ. Load this song in the bathroom of Jimmy Page's studio. I figured it was the only place Satan wouldn't be hanging out. Jimmy, do you have enough pentagrams on the wall? Holy shit. And uh, the song continues to mean more to us every year. And we hope it means more to you. This one is called The Price.
great pleasure I welcome to the show from Twisted Sister, A.J. Perot. How are you doing, A.J.? Good. I'm doing real good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, and it is a real honor to talk to you. Um, you know, as, as a child of the 80s, there are probably no more influential records than, than Stay Hungry. Um, and I still remember when you guys uh, took over MTV uh, and what a huge impact uh, between Twisted Sister, Quiet Right, and Def Leppard you were on, on a kid in his early teens back then. So it is, is an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, well, let me ask just a couple questions. You guys um, were not a product of L.A. You came out of, of New York. You were born in, in New York, correct? Yes, I was actually, um, I personally was born in Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, like so many Italian Americans that their uh, uh, parents and grandparents come over and, um, you know, set up shop in, in, in the city. And then as things get a little bit um, better, you know, when, once they start working, and this is what I was told, my grandfather and my grandmother came over, they were factory workers, and then eventually opened up their own business, and then they moved to Brooklyn, which Brooklyn back then was kind of the, you know, you only moved there if, you know, you want to make sure you get a lot of land, you know, mm-hmm. not, like, not like we know it today. Um, so then eventually, uh, I was born in 59, uh, I was born before the bridge was completed, actually, the bridge okay. was completed in 64, which we came over, ironically, on the ferry <laughs> from Brooklyn yeah. to Staten Island. And uh, I lived in Staten Island now my whole life, so it's about 48 years, about 48 years that I'm on Staten Island. Not bad. Now you are um, kind of ironically the new guy in Twisted Sister. I mean, you were you were the only one uh, to join the band in the '80s. Everybody else kind of got yeah. together in the '70s. How did you kind of hook up with the guys? <laughs> and that's still a joke that goes on today. I mean, they I'm still hate you for that. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be in the band 30 years, and I'm still the new guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I... Um, they call me youngest rookie. Um, but, yeah, it was funny because, uh, like so many people from New York um, in the late 70s, I graduated high school and uh, didn't really know what to do, wasn't sure if I wanted to go to college. Um, I was a big uh, high school baseball player, and uh, I blew my knee out. Uh, it was a junior year. I, I still played music, and music and baseball always, uh, you know, um, tied as far as what I wanted to do. I blew my knee out in uh, 76 and um my father you know my father had said listen you're you're, you're a great musician great drummer stick with that you know see what happens and i'm like all right all right so i did so after i graduated high school didn't know what i wanted to do if i wanted to go to music college or not and um, i took a road trip back to california uh subsequently ended up staying out there for about nine months didn't like the scene and came back and when i came back i ended up um meeting uh, an old high school buddy of mine that says, wow, we heard you move, blah, blah, blah. He says, yeah. So let's go out. So we go out, and I said, where are we going? He says, oh, we're going to this place called the Rock House. He said, really? He's playing. He says, oh, some bad twisted sister. They, you know, wear makeup and stuff. Uh-huh. And being a big Kiss fan, you know, like everybody dresses up for Kiss uh, for Halloween, you know, during that uh, early 70s sure. Uh, sure. thing. Uh, we went out to see Twisted, and it was um, like uh, I was just in awe. <laughs> just wow! I said they're a great band. So um, about seven months later, and this was around maybe the early '81, like I'd say February, March of '81. Um, 
I ended up getting a call from my buddy. Now he's working with the bands, and he ended up being their guitar tech. And he said to me, he says, listen, they're uh, Twisted's auditioning. He says, but nobody's supposed to know about it. And I'm like, really? I said, can you give me an audition? He says, sure, no problem. Give me a, you know, some kind of tape. So I gave him a package, you know, cassette tape, had my name on it, and gave him a promo shot and a nice resume and stuff. And uh, he gave it to the guys, you know, in the band, and uh, I didn't hear anything. So around um, September of that year, I get a call, and uh, this guy tells me, listen, you got to get down here. This was Saturday night, 1030. I just got home from work. I was working at a hardware store, and uh, he says, you got to get down to this club in Jersey. I'm like, come on. It's like an hour drive. He says, well, get down here. D wants to meet you. And I'm like, oh, man, okay. I jump in the car. I go down to Soul Factory in New Jersey. I meet D and the rest of the guys in the band, and I auditioned um, two weeks later. I did two auditions because um, they wanted to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the original drummer uh, nailed the first audition, but then when they got him in the band, he ended up getting worse and worse and worse as every show went by. So I wanted to make sure. So I did it. I uh, started rehearsing with them uh, October 81, and uh, my first gig was around uh, the last week of March of 82. Okay. And um, the, rest, the rest is history. And then you guys went in and, and you played on the Under the Blade album, correct? Yes, I did. That was okay. my first album, and I was just in the band. Um, like I said, we recorded that album in June or July, okay. so I just got in the band that last week of March. So, and from there, I think a lot of people probably are guilty of not knowing uh, about Under the Blade and You Can't Stop Rock and Roll, which for for metalheads yeah. uh, probably are just as tasty as Stay Hungry when it comes to you know the record collection. But obviously. You guys continued to build up momentum, and then 1984 came out. When you guys went in to make Stay Hungry, did you have a sense that, that of what it was going to do for the band? No. Um, and w- what we did, that was the only album. Um, the, well, I'm going to say not the only album. That was the first album that we actually uh, do, actually took two months off and wrote. 20 songs. Okay. Uh, but he didn't write full songs. What he did is he wrote verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and bridge. Okay. And we went down to the studio and we recorded all 20 of that maybe minute or minute and a half snippets of ideas. And we did, you know, okay, pick out your favorite 13. Mm-hmm. So each guy in the band and the producer who who happened to be Tom, uh, oh god, I can't think of his last name. Um, but yeah, the producer and uh, the guys in the crew, we all had lists. We had about ten lists of what our favorite song was, or our favorite top thirteen songs were that we were going to arrange and put on the album. And funny enough, <laughs> we're not going to take it. Didn't make anybody's list except <laughs> mine and Eddie's. <laughs> <laughs> that was the least favorite of the twenty songs, and um, when we had we had fought when we had fought tooth and nail and said, "Well, this is a great song." And he says, "Well, you know what? Yeah, this kind of catchy." You know, and we all said, "You know, as such." Um, that's when we we started really getting into it and arranging the stuff, and then mm-hmm. once we got into the studio, um, we we doing the album. We kind of were, and I'm not gonna say experimenting. But we wanted to make it where it was a lot more polished and uh, finished than the other two albums. Mm-hmm. 
that we had done. So Stay Hungry was um, was actually probably one of the best albums that, that we did uh, back then recording-wise. Now, when you guys did um, We're Not Gonna Take It, I mean, did you just kind of have that, the, the intro drum piece is, you know, pretty special. Did, was that something you came up with, or, or did you have different iterations of that before you came up with what is, what's on the record? No, actually, what was funny is the, um, um, it, one of Dee's favorite drummers, and that's one of the reasons why I got the gig, mm-hmm. one of Dee's favorite drummers has been Cozy Powell. Okay. Rest his soul, he was a friend of mine. I knew him after I met him. He was one of my favorite drummers, too. Uh, him, Ian Pace, John Bonham, uh, Ward, those drummers back in in the 70s were, were very influential on my rock playing. Sure. Uh, Danny Sarafin from Chicago, who I still talk to today, was very influential for me making the crossover from jazz to rock. But mm-hmm. for the most part, uh, Cozy Powell was one of the drummers that I said, wow, I've seen him live with Rainbow, and it was just amazing. So Dee had said, listen, he goes, uh, you know, Stargazer, and, you know, you know, the beginning of Stargazer. I said, yeah, I said, that's a great beginning. I said, you want me to do something like that? He said, no. He goes, but I want you to come up with something that's going to be a cadence that's going to be something that people, or even if you play one note, you're going to know automatically that that's that song. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I said, look, give me, a, give me a couple of days on it. I go down my basement, you know, where I had the studio, and I'm sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, and I'm like, well, let me try this, let me try that. For the most part, I just came out with it just because I, it, uh, it was just like something that I just experimented with, but perfected it. I went to, you know, to uh, pre-production next time, and he said, that's great, I love it. So, you know, that's how I ended up coming coming about with it. I guess I was always good uh, for my background musically, always good with coming up with um, drum things that were kind of signature. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what a lot of people uh, today, you know, yeah, you go I mean, to that's... a lot of stadiums, and uh, the first thing, like Shea Stadium, is that Shea Stadium, they never have to play the song. As soon as I heard at the beginning, my wife's like, ah, that's it, oh, I'm not going to take it. You know, so... Uh, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like signature influential, but um, I, you know, I, I appreciate it that everybody likes it. Yeah, I mean that's got to be up there. I mean, you know, with the echelon of "We Will Rock You," is you hear a drum beat, and you know what song it is. I mean, that's oh, absolutely, and like same, you know, um, same thing with rock and roll by Zeppelin, or yeah, uh, you know, even even the uh, the beginning cowbell to Honky Tonk Woman is kind of like you know. <laughs> you know what song it is, and that's where you try to make it, and that's what I thought about it, and said, "Huh, let me come up with something that's a cross between this, 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 this and that." And the end result was the beginning of how you know it today. Yeah, well, that, that's certainly a lofty goal to you know try to come up with you know something that memorable and mission accomplished. So uh, kudos. Um, obviously, you. you guys benefited greatly from. MTV as we knew it back then, certainly not MTV yeah, as we know as it today. We it. Yeah, That's a good. Uh, I'm glad you said that as we knew it. Yeah, rest in peace to MTV. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you guys, you know, I imagine as a live band in New York. I mean, obviously with Kiss, you mentioned and Alice Cooper and, and a lot of other, yeah. you know, the New York Dolls and bands like that. Yeah. The glam and makeup wasn't maybe the most. You know, you guys weren't the only guys on the block with it, but you guys certainly had a look. 
uh, to you than when you came busting through the door on the on the TV screens to America. You were probably the first oh, to jump out of the TV. Absolutely. Um, do you think that's that's kind of what led you know what got you guys MTV or the label's decision to kind of put you guys right at the forefront of MTV? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking. See, I wasn't really a big MTV watcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been. I I gotta say honestly, I've been more a jock my whole life than I have been a rock and roll musician, uh-huh. rock and roll icon, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so MTV to me, I'd rather watch the ball game or something like that than to watch MTV. But uh, back then, if I remember correctly, MTV was trying to establish themselves, and they were trying to be this uh, entity that there was nothing else around like it. So I think they were uh, actually a little bit more liberal uh, when Twisted, by using Twisted, they kind of like shocked America, and that's when I think America started saying, wow, MTV's really cool, and then the floodgates opened. Yeah. Um I mean, if you remember some of the videos that were on before, you know, when I, or even even that live concert that we did from, oh, um, yeah. you know, I mean, you have this thing. Now I'm sitting in the living room, um, and and with you know with friends and family, and I didn't know what to expect. I remember doing it, but this is like who, you know, who really saw any any concerts on TV back then, yeah, uh, except for like Midnight Special and and Don Kirsch's rock concert stuff like that, and. But it, this was like, here you go, you got a full-blown-out satellite around the world um, concert featuring Twisted Sister on MTV. And I'm like, well, I didn't know what to expect. This is pretty cool. And yeah. then it, it came on, and it was like jumping through a TV set. And I'm like, wow, that's when it hit me that, you know, maybe MTV did latch on to something by shocking America and America turning around and grasping MTV. And, and then they started putting... Obviously, they started getting you know other different type of acts on there. Um, The other thing that I have to say bad about MTV back then was that um, they started getting too mainstream. So when Twisted came out with um, the zombie video Mm. that we had with Bob Goldwaite, they took it off because it was horrible. But then they ended up playing Michael Jackson's Thriller, which I think was just. Well, just as bad, they ended up playing the you know uh, the crap out of that, mm-hmm. and to me that's like all right. Well, here we are. We're one of the. We opened up one of the doors. We opened up, the, and then they forgot us. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the only bad thing I got to say about you know that situation. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean you know it was um, com- uh, it kind of, not competition, but you have all these bands that come out with the glam. And you mentioned the New York Dolls, which I still talk to David Johansson today. He's on Staten Island. He's a Staten Island boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, of course, uh, Ziggy Saw does David Bowie, and then uh, um, T-Rex and and Sweet and all these bands that were considered glam. And then we were considered glam metal and whatever other, now it's hair, now it's hair bands and whatever they wanted to come up with. Yeah. Um, I think I think back then... The thing that separated Twisted Sister from the rest of the rest of the bands is that we were kind of like a freight train coming through your living room, wearing girly makeup, which it, it was kind of like hypocritical, I think. You know? Yeah, it was. It was. And actually, it was funny I think well done because yeah. I mean, you guys. I don't want to. Say, you didn't look like women. You certainly did not look like no. women. Where you know no. some of the other bands of the genre. 
you had to kind of scratch your head, you know, uh, you know. With, oh with, yeah, I mean Vince Neil, man, in, in the early day. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. if, I, if I went that way, I definitely would have tried to pick up Vince Neil. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> that's that's the way that you know back then you couldn't tell, you know. Um, some of the dudes in the clubs that we played, some of the dudes looked better than some of the women that used to come see us. But our thing was the shock value. And we always said that, D always stressed it, and JJ always stressed it, we're shock rock, the shock value. You come and see us, even when we played our first tour, opening for Blackfoot and Crocus in the mm-hmm. Midwest, coming on stage at 7.30 in the afternoon, you know, at night, first yeah. band, sunlight is bright. Here we are in the Midwest, and people looking at us like, would you get a load of these guys? You know, it's like, wow, we're going to die. We're going to die. One of these days, somebody's going to take out some shotguns and blow us away. But you know what? They looked at us, and then they heard us, and then they felt us, and then they loved us. Yeah, I can, I can imagine the shock on an audience if you're going to see Ricky Medlock and, and Blackfoot, uh, who aren't known to be the most colorful bands. You guys come on on stage, had to be quite a shock. Oh, God. It was, it, I, I'm telling you, if I, had to, if I had to make a movie, which I write, you know, I write screenplays and I write uh, movies and stuff. If I had to make a movie, I think that would be, um, I'm gonna, let, me, let me rephrase that. If I had to make a comedy movie, because I'm mostly yeah. sci-fi, thriller, and drama, mm-hmm. if I had to write a comedy movie, I would write it based on that situation yeah, and is... everything that we went through, and it would be funny. It would be real funny. Yeah, that would, that would be an excellent thing. Now, obviously, um, post Stay Hungry, things got a little little rocky towards the, the, the middle and latter part of the 80s for the band. Uh, and then you guys kind of just put it on hiatus, and, and everybody kind of went and did their own thing. Uh, yes. Thankfully, what was it, about 10 years later, you guys got back together and um, started doing it again. Um, a great record, Still Hungry. Um, for those of you who are a fan of Stay Hungry, Still Hungry is is probably a must-have. Um, and then you guys really kind of hit pay dirt again with the Twisted Christmas album. Um, oh, yeah, that, that was fun, uh, especially recording that in June. Yeah. Um, I, I had to keep sticking my head in the freezer just to kind of get the uh, the atmosphere going, you know? Yeah. Um, Mark was shredding up paper and throwing it at me as I'm playing drums to make <laughs> it look like snow because it was just uh, ironic how here we are recording a Christmas album in the middle of June. But uh, it ended up... Um, as JJ says, that was the album that he wanted to end, so we didn't have to go out on tour anymore. And that's not in a negative sense. That's just like no offense to our fans. We love uh-huh. our fans, but we're you know I'm the youngest. I'm 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 going to be 52. So uh-huh. you know the, the Geritol and the uh, the Walkers are not really too far away. The arthritis yeah. medicine is not too far away. But the thing is, is that we had said, listen, we've never done anything like this. Let's let's try it. What do we got to lose? You know, sure. we can't, you know, and we did it. And, and that was the whole thing. Uh, you were talking about Still Hungry. Um, that was the way that we originally wanted to record Stay Hungry with mm-hmm. that veracity. And we couldn't. Our hands were tied. We had to be more of a pop than what we portrayed so that was the way we w- would have recorded it if we were allowed to record it. The problem is, is a lot of people uh, had a negative view on it and said, how could you take a classic and redo it? You know, that would be like taking Dark Side of the Moon, you know, Pink Floyd saying, listen, uh, 
Let's redo Dark Side of the Moon because I wanted to add a couple of drum fills here and I'd yeah. face them and redo it. I could see their point, but un- they have to understand the way we felt as musicians that wasn't the best representation of ourselves. Yeah. So we, that's why we did it. I think a lot, a lot of people probably don't get to see inside the studio and realize that there's a record company breathing down your neck and, and they put you in with Tom Worman on purpose. Tom Worman, thank you. <laughs> I was gonna I was I was gonna like just go and run and try to find a twisted album. Yeah. Right. Right now, who, who the name was on the top of my head. I was thinking it was the guy who did Girls, 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 if I'm not mistaken, with Motley Crue. Yes. Shout out to Well he did uh, I think two or three albums with them. Yeah. But I mean when, when bands went in in the 80s, especially when you're a young band and you're not established, I mean, the goal is they want to hit out of you. It's a business, you know, so as musicians, you, you know what you want it to sound like, but sometimes it doesn't always get to be that way when you're a, you're true. not an established band. And, and this is true, um, but if you, really, if you want a little insight, I mean, you've been in radio how many years, so you've obviously mm-hmm. interviewed a lot of bands and probably mm-hmm. musicians have told you Little dark secrets about the music business that you uh-huh. turn around. Wow, I didn't know that, but let me tell you this. Um, unfortunately, and I can say it now because I really don't give a crap, and nobody's going to come to my house and beat me up from the record company. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, then shove it. But unfortunately, you get some of these record company executives mm-hmm. that like Joan Baez or Simon and Garfunkel, which is not wrong with it. I mean, sure. I love music. I listen to all genres of music. But how could you expect these people that don't listen to this to try to make it that? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They sign a band like Twisted Sister and they say, you know what? I, I like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I really don't care for them. But if you think they're good, well, we'll sign them and you make something out of them. Right. Um, that's that's kind of like half-hearted because you're not really putting now. If you sign a band that they love, I mean, the type of music that they love, and you sign a band that they love, they're going to see to it that you get every dollar and cent, and then some. So we were kind of we were kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because they only gave us a certain amount of budget. They only t- told us that we were going to reach a certain amount of magnitudes, and they, you know, said, stay hungry. That's a make it or break it. And they made it. And then, unfortunately... We wanted to continue on and make it even better, and they said, "Well, you know what? We got some other things. So, you guys are on your own. You do what you got to do, and if it's the album comes out, it's good. It's good. If it's not, we don't care. We're pulling the plug anyway. And unfortunately, that's the way the business is Surely. back then. Used you now up and spit you up. Yeah. Nowadays, with the help of the internet and uh, YouTube and and uh, streaming, and, and you could come out with an album and not even sign with a record label, mm-hmm. open up a PayPal account, uh, an account, and sell it yourself. And you could probably sell a million albums. Yeah, you won't get the acclaim from the RCAA. Right. You won't get a gold or platinum album on your wall, but you you made two million dollars selling it yourself. Who cares? Yeah, you probably <laughs> you make know? a hell of a lot more money in the long run. Yeah, I got fifty gold and platinum albums on my wall. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I still have to. I still have to work sometimes to, uh, to do security in our jobs when when we're off the road because I, I didn't really juggle a lot of money. And yeah. that's the honest truth. You know what I'm saying? 
um, uh, like people look at, you know, and they say, oh, man, you toured the world seven times. You sold 20-some-odd million albums. You must be a millionaire. And I'm like, nah. Your nah. accountants and your uh, managers, maybe. but Accountant, management, IRS, mm -hmm. New York State, New York City, uh, yep. this one, that one, this one. That, it, you know, you make all this money, and here you are giving half of it out to... Yep. You know this and, and that, and it's like that's the truth. That's what I went through. Not a lot of people go through that, but I'm not ashamed to say it. That's what I went through, and I've always worked hard and been honest and made an honest living. But a lot of people are disillusioned between the record company and the artists, and it's not like what you see on the TV and the movies, you know. Yeah, yeah it's it's. It is a shame, you know, unfortunately, you know, I was thinking about Stay Hungry, and a lot of bands probably wouldn't get the leeway to even make the third album anymore, you know. They don't, yeah, no, their make or break totally. album is your debut in a lot of yeah. cases. Well, let, let me, uh, didn't change this up just a little bit. Um, sure. You uh, are, are you a reverend now? Do you want to talk a little bit about how that came yeah. to be? Um, I have friends that are. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, in, in passing, um, uh, a friend of mine, we were out somewhere, and he had said, um, uh, we saw a car accident, and um, he went walking over, and he's like, you know, uh, praying and blah, blah, blah. And, it's, and I'm like, what are you doing? I said, he says, well, I'm a reverend. He said, you know, really? I said, how'd you become a reverend? I said, I thought you had to go through this. He said, no, you go online. And uh, you do your, your vows, and, and you take a, a, a little thing, and you have a couple of seminars that you do online, and then you, um, you I said, wow, that would be really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I've done so many things in my life. I've worn a thousand different hats. Uh, when I was with Twisted, when I was with Twisted, I used to deliver with me Meals on Wheels. You know what that is, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Uh, and I've done so much charity work that I still do today. Let's we'll talk about that. But the uh, the minister thing, I I couldn't really sh figure out besides going to church how to show my appreciation to you know the, the the entity, the man, the God that gave me this talent to do so many things and gave me my kids healthy and sure. you know uh, the trials and tribulations are only part of what life is all about you know we can't experience if we don't experience bad we won't know what good is right. if we don't experience good obviously we won't know what bad is and we wouldn't be able to tell between the two so that's why we're given all these trials and tribulations and tests so i decided to do it and i and i did it and i became an ordained minister and um, i really don't use the Reverend A.J. Pirro too much except on my website, mm -hmm. which I have um, a series of articles that I call Rev's Corner, yeah. which I talk about everyday activities. I talk about bullying. I talk about uh, supporting the troops. I talk about supporting our law enforcement officers. I talk about people that I know that I have seen that are in rehab and got out and they got even more school. I talk about all subjects mm -hmm. that people can relate to. And I'm, I was a natural preacher, so that's when I stepped it up a little bit and I said, you know what? I'm thinking about it. Maybe if I retire from the business or I don't retire, maybe opening up a congregation and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and preaching the word of life experiences that I do and try to help people out because every day I help people out, either on my website, through emails. I'll get a 17-year-old kid that's 
on the verge of suicide just by talking to him through and relating to him through. Uh, you know, they they seem to feel like, wow, you know, this dude who I idolized is actually caring about my welfare, and that makes me feel good, and that keeps these kids alive. Right. And that's why I think the whole Reverend Orr is one works into the other, right. and and that's another reason why I did it. Um, and maybe you know, maybe one day, like I said, I will move down south and go to a small town and have my own congregation and, and help thousands of people out that way. But um, still touring and still doing what I, you know, uh, goals that I have. Sure. And that's why we'll put we'll put that on the back burner. But yes, I am an, an ordained minister. Okay, and for those um, you mentioned, your website is AJ Perot, which is P E R O dot com, and then there's Actually, a link. Actually, right uh, I'm sorry not to cut you off. Sure. Uh, but like like so many people, it's it's uh, Piero. Oh, Piero. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. I'm sorry. You know that's the, you know I, I'm sorry. That's just like a little pet peeve of mine. Sure. No problem. No problem. AJ dot com. Um, and you can get the uh, information there. So the main thing we wanted to talk about today, and I, and I know we kind of went on a, you know, the obvious twisted sister, is it a charity yeah, you've been named I'm, the... I'm, I'm kind of long-winded. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's quite all right. I mean, you've got a, a fascinating uh, history to it. You you have been named the national spokesperson for fallenblue.org. Do you want to talk, uh, maybe kind of introduce us to what the, the that organization is and what they do? Yes, absolutely, um, and it's kind of it, it, it's kind of uh, not funny in a way, but um, John Guineri, um, the president, and Rachel Pecorara, his fiance, soon to be married, vice president, got in touch with me through my website, mm -hmm. and um, they went on the website, and he's a federal agent, she's a federal agent, and they're um, looking at my interests that I have on my bio. Uh, about law enforcement, and that's mm -hmm. another thing that was uh, something that I've always wanted to be was a cop or or a, an FBI guy or a federal face or a federal agent or a DA. I always wanted to be that, but I never pursued it because the music was always like my you know goal, my top mm -hmm. priority. So, um, but I've always I have a lot of friends, uh, cousins, uh, family that are in one genre or another of law enforcement so I've always went to the functions mm -hmm. and I've always backed them up and I've always done things if there was a uh, a police fireman charity softball game or basketball game or, I've always went you know and right. and and they you know they read this on there and they got in contact with me they said you know we saw that you're interested in this this you know would you want to be uh, would you want to donate some stuff and possibly be part of it um I was on the chair for the March of Dimes, not to get away from it, and mm -hmm. as uh, our fans know, Dee Snyder is the national spokesperson for March of Dimes Bikers for Babies, uh, which I do the runs. I do the bike runs every year, and we raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, but it, to me, it's kind of like it just wasn't gratifying. You know, mm -hmm. I, I there was something that... I wasn't doing that was helping me feel that gratification. So I said, listen, I'm going to relinquish my chair on that. And um, I told I told John, I said, when I spoke to him, I said, listen, uh, would you want me to be more involved with this? Um, it's a new organization. It's called Fallen Blue. And basically what it deals with 
is, um, and like you had said, there's a lot of police officers that died in Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, sadly, yes. New York, it's like mm -hmm. within the past two months, three police officers have gotten shot and killed, and, and it's a shame. We watch the funerals on TV. Uh, even if if I know if you know them, I go and I cry and I you know I'm like oh my god you know it's terrible and it is a terrible thing, but I'm gonna say with not taking anything away from these brave men and women, they got shot or they got killed in the line of duty, they get the whole glorification of you know the this and then they get the benefits and the families are taken care of. Mm -hmm. But what about the police officers or law enforcement officers that die outside the line of duty? Mm -hmm. They don't get the benefits. Sure. So in other words, I could be on the force for 17, 18 years. Maybe I'm looking at retiring at 20, or maybe I'm looking at retiring at 25. And I'm coming out of 7-Eleven, and some drunk wench runs me over with the car, and I die. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the extent of it. They put me in a box, they put you down the ground, you know, and they do a little thing. But what happens to your family? You know, mm -hmm. nobody cares about the families. So it, it's sad that these police officers are not given the glorification or not given the, the props that they deserve. And like I said again, not taken away from the brave men and women that died in the line of duty. And I don't want it to sound like I'm callous to that. I want it to be where... What's fair is fair. If you're on the job and you're a cop 24-7, that's what I thought. Yeah, absolutely. But there's certain laws and certain rules that until somebody has the goals enough to change it or bring it up, there's certain laws and rules that don't allow you to get the benefits that you normally would. And like I said, how many people out there know somebody or know people a friend of mine was uh, a New York City police officer, was uh, surfing in, in Hawaii. He didn't know how to surf. He wanted to surf. Mm -hmm. Boy comes up, hits him in the back of the neck, snaps his neck. He dies. He comes back. Nothing. His, his wife had a, and kids had to fend for themselves. So we did, you know, we did a bunch of barbecues and a bunch of things to raise money. It's a local area. It's a small, Staten Island's a small area. But how many things can you do like that? How much? So these few people came up with the idea to um, come up with this charity, Fallen Blue is the name of the charity, mm -hmm. and you can check it out at www.fallenblue.org, and what it is, is we're raising money, we're going to be doing some events, I'm working on right now a um, charity softball game, okay. uh, intermixing celebrities and law enforcement officers, we're going to do it in Staten Island. Staten Island Yankee Stadium, and um, we're going to hopefully get this together for September, so uh, you can look out for that. But we're looking to raise money as an endowment for the family and uh, children of these officers that died outside the line of duty, and erect a monument. Um, location not known yet, possibly maybe down in D.C. with the uh, other monuments that are down there, so people can go and see their father's name or their mother's name or their daughter or son's name or relative's name up there that they were a police officer, they served, they protected the public. Unfortunately, they died, whether it be by their own hand, car accident, uh, DUI, got hit by a car, yeah. whatever. 
they died, the most important thing is is to remember that they were a law enforcement officer laying their line on the, uh, the life on the line every day. But they were forgotten because they didn't die in a, in a, in a blaze of glory. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that to me is sad. And that's why when I got approached and I said, wow, and then they said, listen, would you want to be a celebrity national spokesperson? I'm like, yeah. I said, I'll be on the board. I'm, you know, I mean, whatever I could do, this mm -hmm. is something I believe in, you know, and uh, that's where, and that's a fairly new organization. Like I said, the, um, the only came about of it, I think, was um, right before last Christmas, if I'm not mistaken. Uh -huh. So it's still, it's still up and coming, and we're always looking for volunteers, and this is something that could be worldwide. Yeah. Um, there are police officers all over the world. I don't know what happens when... A, police officer gets killed in England or in Germany or I don't know if they are taking care maybe the other countries are different but in this country you have to die in the line of duty to reap the, the benefits for your family and that's something that maybe should be changed I'm not looking to change the law or the world myself but if there's millions of people that feel the same way I do mm -hmm. and now they have a and now they have a place to go and voice their opinion Maybe some people will say, hey, you know what, we never thought of this. It's something that we've done since the uh, late 1800s, and um, let's think about maybe helping out in a different way. So this is a vital organization, and this is something I think is needed because how many hundreds, how many millions of police officers across the United States are going to think about it and say, you know what, i got to get shot to get so my family can get benefits what if i get hit by a bus you know mm -hmm. you know so these are things you have to think about and that's why i think it's a vital organization so um how the, the fans and people like yourself can help out is just by going on the website checking it out you can make donations you can email you can email myself or john or rachel or john or scott or whoever to talk about how they could be involved, or you could just say, "Hey, listen, I got an extra hundred bucks. I'd like to send it," or you know, uh, "I got an extra fifty dollars. I'd like to send it." Or, "Hey, you know, I want to put this in my uh, brother-in-law's name that uh, you know died outside the line of duty, or whatever." Yeah, that's you a fantastic things idea. Like that. Yeah, you could do things like that, or if you're in my area and I'm in New York City, if you're there and you you are aware of this, you can say, hey, look, I want to jump on board and be on a committee with A.J. and, and uh, his um, uh, law enforcement friends to to get these events going. Because not only do we want to have them here, this is going to be the footprint out here in Staten Island, because that's where I am. Mm -hmm. uh, but we would hope that it would, if it's successful, that it would filter throughout the United States so every major city or even where you are, Pittsburgh, yeah. hey, Let's put together a freaking softball game with celebrities and, and law enforcement officers. And this is the way we do it. And you guys help out being radio people and, and, and get the press and media. And all of a sudden, you got a, a minor league ball club stadium or a college stadium or even, hey, where the Pirates play, you know, yeah. who knows? And you fill it up with people that are backing, and that money that is made goes directly to the endowments and the monument building to fall and blow. That could be done throughout the United States, and if it's done right, and there's enough people to support it, 
I think it's going to be one of the most vital organizations around. Wonderful. AJ, I want to thank you for, for giving us. You know, it's kind of a great explanation. You hit the nail right in the head. I think a lot of people kind of forget about that circumstance. You know, you think of, you know, the, the police officer that's, you know, killed, you know, in a, by pulling over a traffic stop or something like that, but you don't think about the guy, or the, the men and women who've given their entire lives to do something and, and, you know, don't unfortunately die the right way for, you know, lack right. of a better absolutely. term. You yeah, know, absolutely. And, and when you were saying one of the things that came to my mind is, you know, with Pittsburgh is, is probably a little more rural than, than Staten Island. Um, you know, there's a lot of communities who have the part-time police officers who, you know, aren't going to get these pensions and probably don't have anywhere near the death benefits that, you know, you know, the major cities full-time police force would have. So, I mean, that's a real, absolutely. a real vital, uh, real vital no, idea. Absolutely. And, and this goes to, uh, like I said, I live in a, in, in a major city. So NYPD is Staten Island, Brooklyn, Bronx, Manhattan, mm-hmm. Queens, uh, and then you go parts like, uh, then you go upstate and then you got their own. Um, but what about the towns and in, in, in the Midwest and yeah. where, the, you know, the sheriff's department is, is, is just monitored by what they bring in and, this, and then all of a sudden one of them, it happens and how are they taken care of? I mean, you know, you know, you don't know. You hear stories like this every day. So it not only filters out major, this is law enforcement. Full and blue is law enforcement. We're not we're not going just for one. You know, you don't have to be a Detroit police police officer. You don't have to be a Chicago police officer. You could be, uh, you know, a Mayberry RFD sheriff. That something tragic happened, and if we can help you out, we're going to help you out and help your family out. You know, um, and that's where it is law enforcement. So that's the, the main key to get out there is to say. This is for all the people that are in law enforcement, whatever area you are in. If you have a your family, you get you know you're lost, and if your family has a problem, we'll help you out. But we need help in order to help others out. Sure. Yeah. So okay. anybody that can, and we're looking for we're looking for big corporate sponsors. We're looking for it's like I said, this is still in the infantile stage. We have so many musicians that are on board. I mean, Dave Mustaine, Ted Nugent, Don Dawkins, Zach Wild. Um, uh, so many, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. That And there's going to be a ton more musicians sure. uh, uh, that are going to Motorhead and, and, and uh, Striper and all these bands, all these musicians. I'm sure they have friends or family or they know somebody that knows somebody that's a police officer or a law enforcement officer. So, they, they donate stuff. Maybe they can't donate the time, but they could donate stuff to be raffled and auctioned. We're looking for we're looking for any way to generate money to further this nonprofit organization. None of us are getting paid for this. Like in some charities, you know, Marching Dimes and, and, and American Heart Association, they don't get paid a lot, but they get paid. That's sure. their job. This everybody has a job. This is something we do in our spare time. So anything that's taken out of our pockets or any uh, appearances that I have to make or any time that John has to go and uh, talk to somebody to get this or, uh, you know, that's not, that's not our own time. I'm going to take this out on the road with me. So when I'm out on the road and I'm playing with 20 other bands over Europe, I'm going to say, hey, guys, we need help. 
help us out, and we're going to just flood it and get it in. And I'm not getting a dime. I'm doing it because I know people, and like I said, my cousin's a police officer, and I lost how many friends of mine that were police officers in the World Trade Center. Yeah. That's a different story, but it's still at all. It hits home. Certainly does. Regardless whether you got pulled over for a traffic violation and the guy was a real asshole or the cop was a real nice guy, it doesn't matter. You know, you got to understand what they go through. Yeah. You got to understand every day they got to deal with knotheads and they got to deal with con people. They, and they, after a while, you get so. Let's just forget any time you've had a bad experience, but let's just remember these guys and these women men and women have families and their families are the ones that suffer if they die in the line or out of line of duty so we gotta we gotta pull together and help these people out absolutely well aj i want to thank you i I've, I've certainly kept you long enough but i want to thank you so much no, no, for coming fine. on coming on that's and talking about so, i missed young and the restless now i'm watching bold and beautiful so we were <laughs> you know what it, you tune in tomorrow, it'll be the same story. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I mean, the same storyline with Liam has been going on for like two months now. When the hell are they going to find out it's not his kid? You know? Come on. Uh, uh, I can't yeah, come you know, on that. In the future, if you know, if you, you want to do stuff like this, contact me either through uh, John Verano or you got my website. Just say, hey, this is so-and-so. If you want to do anything like this, if I'm in town... Mm-hmm. I don't know if Twister's going to be doing America this year because it's tough to do what we've been doing as it is. Yeah. Uh, we're not touring. We're we're weekend warriors, and yeah. we do about 35, 40 shows a year. And um, if we come through your town, or even if I come through your town, we'll hang out. We'll uh, do whatever. But if you want to contact me, you know where to get me. Certainly. Um, so I thank you for your for your time and 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 uh, you know keep in touch. All right, AJ, it's been a pleasure.
All right, also taken from live at the story of that was Twisted Sister with Obviously We're Not Gonna Take It. I want to thank A.J. Perro and also Johan Soderberg for both taking the time out of their schedules to talk to us at Iron City Rocks. We invite you to head on over to ironcityrocks.com. You can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, YouTube, etc. Also got a couple contests. We're getting very close to the end of a contest. Uh, deadline is actually... Uh, April 25th, I believe, to enter to win a pair of tickets to see Social Distortion at Stage AE. We're also, for fans of bands like Twisted Sister, giving away a pair of tickets to see Motley Crue Poison and the New York Dolls at Stage AE in July, and a pair of tickets to see the Monkees in June at Stage AE. So you can get all of those at the contest section of ironcityrocks.com. We invite any and all feedback to ironcityrocks at gmail.com. And uh, also, we would appreciate a review on iTunes if you have a moment. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. Until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.